Hello, I'm Lucy and welcome to Undies On Air, a three-part investigative special for She's Out There, Women's Health Tasmania's podcast about sexual and reproductive health. These episodes have a very special mission. It's a mission to discover how can us folk living here in Luchawita, Tasmania, have a better period. So when you're ready, right. just <clears throat> into the microphone. Yeah, good, great. <clears throat> Four marvellous features. Protection, immaculacy, deodorization, and ease of disposal. That's the voice of Amber Perez, local personality, um, and she's reading a Kotex ad from 1925. Kotex is made from super-absorbent cellucotton, a wonderful surgical product which absorbs 16 times its own weight in moisture. This absorbency ensures protection always. It prevents the anxiety which can which affects... <clears throat> <laughs> so Kotex is one of the first producers of the single-use pad, and in this episode we're going to drill down a little bit more into the evolution of single-use products. This absorbency also permits the immaculacy, the exquisite personal daintiness, which alone satisfies fastidious women. You can hear how this ad really rests on this idea that periods are kind of dirty and that daintiness has to be maintained. This wonderful new discovery, deodorization, completes the perfection. Last, yet the most important of all, is ease of disposal. A lot has changed in the way we advertise single-use period products. Um, we certainly don't talk about women's personal daintiness as much as we used to. But there's also a lot that has stayed the same. You get rid of single-use period products the same way today as you did in 1925. You get rid of Kotex as easily as a sheet of tissue the same way. This forever ends, this constant source of embarrassment. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's right. It goes into the bin. But what happens next? Once we've turfed our tampon or our pad, where does it go? How long does it last? And what does it mean for our planet? We're going to answer all these questions on this episode. And I promise you, the answers are fascinating. But before we do that, we've got to go back, back in time to work out how did single-use products become so darn popular. Hold on to your moon cups. It's episode two of Undies on Air. Crouching tampon, hidden plastic. So my understanding is that they initially began maybe as far back as the late 1800s when there were nurses who were looking for ways, particularly on battlefields, to um, to absorb blood better. And they were looking for, you know, cheap, cheap enough ways that could they could also dispose of. That's Rachel Pilgrim. She's a period educator from Central Victoria. And Rachel has designed workshops for girls and other folk who have periods as a way of opening up conversations about periods and in particular sustainable periods. Because as you may have heard by now, those single-use pads and tampons, 
well, a lot of them have heaps of plastic in them. But it wasn't always like this, as Rachel explains. They looked at using things like wood pulp um, and also cotton to make the bandages. And then there was uh, commercial manufacturers sort of took up on this idea and they were the, um, the bandage companies were actually the first people who produced or the first manufacturers to produce um, single-use disposable items. So back then they were would have been much more made from um, natural materials and then the evolution of them over time. So they didn't really kind of take off my understanding is they were commercially sold in the 20s and um, I think it's, you know, around the way that they were actually marketed to women. Uh, it wasn't until they were sort of marketed in a different way later in like the 50s and the 60s that they became a little bit more popular. Um, they changed the way that they were made. So there was um, versions that had belts and clips at the front so they would sit in the belt. Um, my understanding, I never used those, but my understanding is they were quite, you know, moved around quite a lot. And then probably it was about the 80s where the adhesive backing came in and the plastic backing came in and so they would stick to the gusset of your undies and then wings later on were introduced. So during the evolution of that time, they've really moved from uh, a much more, uh, I guess, a renewable um, and uh, natural material to more technology coming in and more synthetics being used and then um, chemicals being sort of added into the mix um, when the adhesives came in and also fragrances as well. So there's a lot more sort of stuff in them that we don't really know about mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Rachel, what exactly is Inapad? There's a lot of um, data or a lot of you know people quoting out there that they're made of about 90% of plastic and polyethylene being one of the most abundant plastics in it. But there's also the other materials such as cellulose, which is an organic compound which is used in the production of paper and also um, adhesives and fragrances. So then you also have the wrapper, which is usually made out of plastic. And then in tampons, um, they would be mainly composed of absorbent materials, um, which could include rayon, cotton, polyester, or a mix of all of the fibres. Um, both pads and tampons are usually bleached as well. And for tampons, they're generally individually wrapped either with um, paper or maybe plastic. Um, and some uh, tampons come with an applicator. So that could be a wax coated or um, coated paper or a hard plastic, which again is polyethylene or polypropylene. And Rachel, is there like with a pad? OK, you've obviously got the pad itself. It's got plastics in it, chemicals in it. But are there other things that go into making a pad that we should, that we could think about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, it do, I mean, it's really variable between, you know, um, brand to brand, I guess. But it really sort of comes down to that it's, you know, mechanical, chemical, electrical energy, um, which is to harvest the raw materials and to then um, mechanically produce the pad. Uh, then you've got the raw materials as well. Uh, and then also transport transport to the point of sale. Um, so all of that is, you know, a lot of energy and resources. Um, yeah, and again, you just sort of really don't know exactly what they are unless you dig further deeply into it and you can um, get that information. Yeah, so then, then like I said, you know, if it breaks down in the ocean or um, in landfill, it, yeah, it's going to cause pollution at the other end, depending on what it's made out of.
So what Rachel's saying is that the pad we throw away today is really different from the pad of the 1920s. There's more stuff, more plastics and chemicals in them, and they take way more energy to make. And these pads, once they go in the bin, what happens next? And why is it a problem? stupid question to ask but I love asking smart people stupid questions <laughs> and but it's okay as well if you can't answer it but yeah. what's wrong with plastic yeah no it's such a great question I think it's something we have to stop and think about because it's everywhere we see it we use it and everything some of its best properties are the fact that it doesn't break down right you can hold a pen it's not going to fall apart that's the voice of Madeline she's an environmental boffin and she's studying environmental health at UTAS. And she's here to give us the lowdown on plastic. Exactly. Um, but that's also one of the issues in that when we're done with a product, when it's become waste, we can't use it anymore. It takes so long to break down in the environment. We can leave it in the sun and it'll release probably harmful substances or it will just take a really, really long time. If you don't bury it and control where it's going, it'll end up in the waterways. And if you have things like microplastics from applicators, for example, well, we're now starting to see those in fish and other marine species, which is also a really big concern. Mm -hmm. Why might microplastics in the, like getting into fish be a problem? Yeah, so it's a problem for the fish in the first instance in that it doesn't belong there. So... It might make them sick, um, but what happens is we go up the food chain, right? Big fish eat small fish, we eat the big fish, maybe there's a few other steps in there. <laughs> um, but all in all, it ends up coming back into our bodies and we really don't want that. So Madeline, you study environmental health. Can you tell me like, what what is that? What is that course and what is environmental health? Yeah, sure. So environmental health is kind of the crossover between public health, so keeping humans healthy, and environmental science looking after the environment. They obviously affect each other, so we want to do what we can to help the environment, and human activities do contribute to that. Um, but we also want to make sure that uh, humans are healthy and that we're giving them an environment that keeps them healthy. So you've been out to um, some landfill that's in the Hobart area. Yep. Can you answer for me a few questions? What does landfill, what's it like being out at a landfill site? What does it smell like? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it really depends on the weather. So sometimes it can be a bit smelly and we were told beforehand, you know, uh, maybe don't have lunch before you go. It wasn't too bad when we were actually on the tip face. Um, but it was actually just very confronting seeing all the mounds of waste piling up everywhere. You know, what we were standing on at the top of what seemed like a mountain was just waste and soil. So can you tell me a little bit more about the landfill itself? Like, how does that work in a place like Hobart? Yeah, of course. Um, so a landfill, firstly, it can't just go anywhere, right? You've got to find a particular area. It's got to be quite stable. You don't want water going into the landfill mm -hmm. because the water's going to keep going and it's going to take things from the landfill with it. So once you find the correct site, you have to line it with a special lining so that you don't have any leaching out into the environment. 
and um, you've got to keep managing it over time because there will be gases that build up as a consequence of the breakdown and unfortunately it does also release emissions. Mm. These, yeah. yeah, these days we've got programs that definitely help with reducing that but it's still an unfortunate byproduct of the process. So you're saying that a landfill itself actually creates like gas, like yeah. CO2 for instance? Um, creates methane emissions in particular. Ah, yeah. okay. And CO2. Yeah. And why is why is methane and CO2 kind of a problem? Yeah, well, it contributes to the greenhouse effect. So it gets stuck in the atmosphere and um, it basically warms the earth. It interacts with other particles that are up there and we get this warming effect, basically like having a blanket around. That sounds cosy but maybe actually not that great (laughs) for the planet yeah i wouldn't want to be wearing a blanket all the time would you (laughs) let's take a deep collective breath i want to acknowledge that what we're hearing is actually pretty big hey What we're hearing is that single-use pads and tampons, the thing that most of us have been using maybe since we got our first period, they're bad for the environment. Pads and tampons, they take a lot of energy to make. There's plastic in them or wrapping them. They go into landfill, which ultimately contributes to climate change. (sighs) It's a lot to take in. One of the answers to the environmental impacts of single-use products is reusable period products. And I have a treat for you. Um, The first season of She's Out There actually has this fantastic discussion of all the different kinds of reusable products you can use to manage your period. Um, You can find it on the Women's Health Taz website. Just look for season one, episode one of She's Out There with Monica Francia. But the question that's really got me curious is, is it really as simple as individuals just switching products? Yeah, definitely, right? You're never going to have a solution if you can't make it um, feasible for people. And whether that's providing them a service or giving them a tool or giving them a product like period undies, which they otherwise wouldn't have access to. Um, In the end, we're all here. We're trying to work together and make things better. So we really have to cater to what people require. And, yeah, economics and personal finance is a big social determinant of health. And it it feeds itself, right, because if people don't – aren't able to make these healthier choices – Um, because they're not empowered to do so or they don't have the means behind them. They're then living in a less healthy way and their environment's less healthy and then the cycle continues, right? And so we're trying to interrupt that cycle. Madeline is saying something so important. If we want to have a healthy environment, we need to empower everyone to participate in creating it. 
we need to come up with inclusive ways that enable people to have a real choice so that moving away from single-use items makes sense and is feasible. In 2021, Women's Health Tasmania ran a project where we gave people who had a period five pairs of reusable period undies for free. The project was called The Undies Project and I'll tell you what, it went off. People loved having the chance to try out this reusable product. Many said they'd always wanted to try them but they couldn't afford to give them a go. In fact, for some of us, they couldn't afford the monthly spend on single-use products either. Period poverty is real in Lutruwita, Tasmania, and we think it deserves its own episode because it's tied up to the whole environmental question, it's tied up with health and the period taboo. So we're going to leave you here on this kind of cliffhanger and humbly suggest that you queue up the next instalment of Undies on Air. Episode three, the luxury of choice. A big thank you to our guests, Rachel and Madeline, to Pretty in Pink for letting us use her song Hippocritter, and to Red Thread for the use of their fancy podcast studio. And on that note, I'm Lucy. Thank you for listening. And on behalf of all of us here at Women's Health Tasmania, we wish you a very good period. See you later. This podcast is made by Women's Health Tasmania. To find out more about us or the Undies Project, which inspired these episodes about menstruation, go to our website, www.womenshealthtas.org.au. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Muanina people down in Nipaluna, Hobart. We extend our respect to their elders past and present, and we acknowledge the Tasmanian Aboriginal people across Lutruwita, Tasmania as the ongoing custodians of this land. Always was, always will be.